0: If you're having trouble getting a good night's sleep, then you're going to love today's episode. We're talking about tips and tricks to get a better night's sleep and things we should avoid in the bedroom. All of that coming up now on Morphus. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Masley. I'm so happy to have you back on.
1: I'm really great to be with you again.
0: So for those of you who haven't seen the interview I did with Dr. Masley about blood sugar, we're gonna put a link on the card above and then we're also gonna put a link below. Fascinating information. And I was, my team loved your interview so much that we wanted you back on again pretty quickly. So today we're gonna talk about sleep. So we're gonna talk about sleep hygiene, tips to help us fall asleep, but also things that we should avoid when it comes to sleep so that we actually do get a better night's sleep. So I'm just gonna hand it over to you and uh, let's talk about first... Why is it so important that we get a good night's sleep?
1: Well, sleep is essential for us to function. I mean, for a hundred thousand years, humans have had this you know dark night sleep, undisturbed. We didn't have phones waking us up, maybe children, little ones in the night. but I mean generally speaking, um darkness and sleep have gone hand in hand for as I said, thousands and thousands of years and you know, it, 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 if we don't get enough sleep, we end up gaining weight. It's one of the common causes for weight gain um, because it slows our metabolism. We don't burn as many calories during the day. And plus, we might eat worse when we don't sleep. But even more importantly is that, um, you know, sleep deprivation and poor quality sleep is associated with memory loss and heart disease. I mean, it's like the two biggest, you know, threats to our health today.
0: I mean, you're talking also when it comes to memory loss and brain health, there's something called glymphatics. And I thought maybe you can do a little bit of an explanation of what glymphatics mean, because that's a little bit of newer research about the importance when we're sleeping about detoxing our brain.
1: Well, it's a good point because when we're asleep is the time of day that we actually detox and do cell repair. I mean, as an example, cells that are on the brink of not functioning well and they're um you know in poor health we need we actually want to kill those cells and replace them it's called cell death and so at night is when we clean house we get rid of all the bad cells we take the bad guys out we clean we bring in things that are new it's like spring cleaning every night when we go to sleep so I, i i appreciate your point that you know Sleep is, it's how we it, we need it to detox, clean our system out, get rid of old bad cells and and bring in the new. And it's so essential to all aspects of our health.
0: I like to think about the, when we we're doing that process, so it's called glymphatic. So the part of our brain that's detoxing, I guess, or the part that when, when we're detoxing overnight as equivalent, so sleep is equivalent to exercise because our exercise moves our lymphatic system. And when we're sleeping, it actually helps with our glymphatic system. So I, I love that we're mentioning, and it's such an important piece of information, which is why it's crucial that we get that good night's sleep. So we're, you know, Morphous talks to women in perimenopause and menopause. And unfortunately, I just did a bit, little bit of a survey in a private Facebook group that we have. So for those of you who are not in our private Facebook group, please, we are Morphous on Facebook. We'd love you to join us. And one of the, I asked our group, do you have trouble sleeping? Do you wake up or do you sleep through the night? And I'd say the majority of women are said that they wake up during the night. And it's a big issue for us as we're getting older, but also for women in perimenopause and, and uh, menopause. What can you what can you help us with? How can you help us get that better night's sleep?
1: Well, there's I mean, there's things we can do, little nuggets that we can take action on. But I think first we should think talk about the things that prevent us from sleeping. Yeah. I mean, simple things like one would be too much caffeine. I mean, it takes 7 hours to remove one serving of caffeine a day. That's like a soda, Um, Two cups of tea, one cup of coffee, a half a cup of the Starbucks coffee, you know, it doesn't, you know, so seven hours, so three servings a day for 21 hours, you're still caffeinated. So anything more than two servings a day means at night you're gonna have caffeine in your system and you might fall asleep because you're tired, but when you, then you wake up easily and it's harder to go back to sleep. So caffeine to me is like one of the most common things I've seen with my patients over time. The second one is probably alcohol, that we think, oh, I'll have a nightcap to help me sleep. It might help you fall asleep, maybe, but what happened is when your body gets done metabolizing and taking the alcohol out, you get a startle response, which wakes you up. And the more you drink, if you drink heavily, you get a bigger startle response. And usually the key is when people say, I wake up at about two in the morning and then I, or three, and I have trouble going back to sleep, I'm, I immediately want to think, how do I ask them about their alcohol intake? <laughs> because it's so common. Um, You know, there's nothing wrong with having a glass or two of wine with dinner, but preferably don't drink within a couple hours of going to bed. I mean, that's really the key. Uh, A third thing that really interferes with sleep that's common is white light. You know, those bedroom lights, those kitchen lights, screens on the TV, (laughs) on my cell phone, on my computer. That's a very bright blue light that tells your brain to wake up. So when we get, you know, for 100,000 years, we wake up in the morning and the white light stimulates us to get up and get going. And the red light tells us to shut down. Ideally, we'd like red light for the hour or two before we go to sleep, at least an hour, Um, minimum a half hour, just to kind of give your brain the message. It's time to wind down, calm down and go to sleep. Yeah. So you you know yes you could put red lights on or you can read in your bedroom with red light but the easiest is probably to get these amber sunglasses. The blue blockers you, know, you mean? Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Those are great. And put and them wear on those
1: too. the yeah. hour before bedtime to start telling, you know, it blocks the white blue light. The blue light is really the the spectrum that's the most problematic. Yeah, those are and great tips. So I think if if we just did those three things well, we don't overdo the caffeine. We don't overdo the alcohol, especially before we go to bed, and we get rid of the white light. That by itself, we actually help a lot of people, from my experience.
0: And I like what you're saying about the alcohol because I, I do a show with um, his name is Bryce Wild, and it's called Brain Spanners. And he talked about how when he when quarantine hit, and you know everything. I mean. 2020, 2021, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind for all of us. Obviously, it's been a lot of a whirlwind for all of us. A lot of us resorted to drinking more alcohol and a little bit more than we should have. And it does disrupt our sleep. And although we think it might be helping, it's actually disrupting REM sleep, like you said. And also, like you said, we're waking up later once we've processed it or metabolized it. So it really is is not an answer, especially if you're having trouble sleeping. One of the questions, or one of the things I read, remember a long time ago, is making sure. If I can just add to some of the things you're saying, is making sure that our rooms are in total darkness. So if you have blinds that are allowing light in, or you have the TV that has like the red, you know, the red light on the on the control or anything like that, is making sure that we have total darkness. And, and the reason why I bring that up is I'd love you to talk about melatonin because melatonin is a hormone in our body that's released. In total darkness. So what happens when our room isn't pitch black? How does that affect melatonin? And why does that why is that important for
1: sleep? Well, you can't, your, your, your point is really good because you can inhibit melatonin production by sleeping in a room with light. And it's it's really that that blue spectrum light again. So if I'm like traveling, I'm in a hotel room. I don't mind so much when I see a red dot here or there or something red light that's subtle. What, I, what I'll go and get towels for and cover things up is blue and white light. Yeah, So that is what I really want to get rid of. Um, one, because it keeps me awake, yeah. um, clearly for me. And two, it's the melatonin production, I think is really, uh, melatonin is important for not just sleep, but many aspects of our health and repair and detoxification. So it has multiple benefits and its essential hormone um, yeah. that happens during that detox period at night. So uh, yeah, I'll go literally go around the hotel room (laughs) (laughs) with towels (laughs) blocking under the door. If the alarm has a red light on it, I'm not so concerned, but otherwise I'll turn it upside down or do put a pillow over it or something.
0: Yeah, I'm always but asking housekeeping for extra towels. I think they're, they're like, you're one person in the room. But, you know, this. these are the days when I was actually traveling. But, you know, it's like, wait, one person, you have like 12 towels. But I do the same, like under the door, exactly. I actually do cover like the the clock and, you know, whatever else is kind of affecting the uh, the light. But I love that you say that. And then little tricks about like closing the blinds. You know, you can use like a hanger to actually keep it closed. Or like the pants, you know, the pants hanger that kind of opens like that. Mm-hmm. You can clamp it like some tricks I've yes. seen. But, sure, that's but a I good think-
1: idea. I've never tried that.
0: Yeah. So like interesting. Okay. So thank you for those tips. I think that they are very important and making sure also not that we we don't eat too much before bed. So giving ourselves three to four hours. Why is that important that we don't eat too close to when we go to sleep?
1: Well, part, I mean, there's, there's several reasons for that. One is it changes our metabolism from an energy burning processing to resting stage. Um, Two people tend to get heartburn at night uh, and, you know, that can keep them awake. So, so I really like the idea of not eating a minimum of two hours before you go to bed. And I think three is more ideal to stop three. That, that comes down to what time do you get off work and what time do you have to get up in the morning. I mean, there's, you know, very many factors, but of course, clearly we don't want to eat within two hours of going to bed. We'll always, we will sleep better. Um, our, our that energy metabolism from digesting food will rev us up a little bit. So we wanna be mostly done with our digestion in a fasting state. And, and I, I mentioned that detox before, but even think of like beta amyloid production. Beta amyloid production happens during the day when we're eating food and digesting. And when we're totally done in that fasting state, um, that's when we start removing beta amyloid. So kind of the worst thing you can do is have a bedtime snack and then get up at two or three yeah. and take another snack. Mm. Because then you're just growing beta carotene, so beta, beta amyloid in your brain all night long. And it's not that beta amyloid is the cause of Alzheimer's and memory loss, but it's certainly a sign of it. And so I think you really want to have that rest period at night, uh, you know, a fasting period. Um, a minimum of, you know, like 10, 12 hours and up to 15 hours for some people each night.
0: One thing that really resonated resonated with me from our last interview, again, I, we linked to it below and we put it, we're going to put a card up, is you said we're either creating it, beta beta amyloid, or we're getting, breaking it down. And, you know, I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So being in that fasting state helps to break it down. So of course, you know, making sure that we're setting ourselves up for success and not eating too close to bed and not waking up and having a midnight midnight snack will all help to break it down. It all is important for brain health, which is, which is super important.
1: And if you have to have something, it's better to have nothing. But if you have to have something, then have an herbal tea,
0: mm. you know,
1: something warm that, you know, like valerian tea, for example. Valerian is, you know, if we were to talk about some of the supplements and herbal agents that we can use that for sleep. It increases GABA relaxation activity in the brain. And valerian, it comes in capsules and tablets. And we know from randomized clinical trials that 400, 500 milligrams at bedtime improves quality of sleep and duration of sleep. So I usually, I'll have, you know, I have valerian tea in in, in my kitchen. And if I wanna have something before I go to bed Or if I wake up at night once in a while and having trouble sleeping, I might get up and just have unsweetened, no sugar, no, you know, I don't put anything in it. Just, it's soothing. It's something warm, you can sip on it. I think that's a really nice tip that people can use if they are gonna, Better, best is nothing. But if you are gonna have something, then look for some herbal tea. If you like chamomile or something else, that'd be fine.
0: Yeah, I'm ashwagandha
1: a, is another one.
0: Ashwagandha is great. The adaptogenic herbs. I actually really like chamomile because it has glycine, and glycine is a natural relaxer. So that's a, that's really a great tip. You mentioned the word GABA. Can you explain what that is and why it's important?
1: So the, the GABA receptors in your brain help induce relaxation and put us into a deeper stage of sleep instead of light sleep. So GABA. You can, you'll actually see it in some supplements as well. Um, But you know, that is what valerian is stimulating is the GABA activity in our brain, which is that calming, soothing, relaxation wave, opposite of like what cortisol or other things, the other aspects of our brain do that are more excitatory.
0: Okay, understood. So what are some other ingredients? So you mentioned valerian, we mentioned chamomile because of the glycine. What are some other ingredients that we can take before bed to help us relax and help us keep us asleep.
1: Well, help you mentioned melatonin before, and certainly, especially it's, I mean, the most e- efficacious use for it is with jet lag. Anytime we're jet lagged, we're, we're throwing our melatonin production off. Usually you're looking about an hour time zone is one milligram of melatonin. So if you're going East coast, West coast, West coast, East coast for a few nights, you can take three milligrams going to Europe. You can take five. You know, something like that, that's usually my upper limit that I would recommend unless, you know, uh, your doctor has some specific reason for it is anywhere from a, a milligram up to five milligrams at night for a week at a time for sleep. Some people report benefit with it on a regular basis, but that's never really been shown um, clearly in clinical studies. So
0: that was gonna be actually my question. Is it safe to take on a regular basis? I know melatonin as a hormone is safe, but is it something we should be taking on a regular basis? Because I know some people find it makes them even a little bit anxious or some people you say they wake up groggy. So I I like that we're actually having this conversation around melatonin.
1: Uh, I think melatonin is very safe. If you even use it regularly, there's, you know, some, health experts that recommend larger doses, five, 10, 15 milligrams every night, not for sleep, but for other health benefits. I, I think to me, it's just a little, the evidence is lacking and I'm not gonna go there, but yeah, um, okay. so, I don't have any concerns with someone using, I mean, one of the concerns is you don't want synthetic, you, you, you want something that's been processed. So and you don't want it to be from cow brain.
0: Okay. So how would um, somebody know Think about
1: it. For a long time, the most common source of melatonin came from the pituitary glands of cows, which were basically cow brain. Okay. And you know, this scare over mad cow disease right. has kind of gotten rid of most of it. But I usually look for a synthetic form of melatonin when I'm looking for so it on the label.
0: How would a consumer or viewers know when they go to the store that they're getting It'll say
1: vegetarian or non-bovine, something like that would be the hint that you're not getting cow brain, um, you know, a pituitary (laughs) gland from a cow to collect the melatonin in your supplement. That used to be the most common source, but now I think hopefully it's really diminishing over time.
0: Okay, well, that's great information. And what are your thoughts on taking magnesium before bed?
1: So magnesium is something I highly recommend. I mean, 70% of Americans, Canadians, or Western Europeans are magnesium deficient. Yeah. I mean, it's super common. And um, the the symptoms of magnesium deficiency are, you know, migraines, muscle cramps, cramps can keep you up at night, insomnia, Um, your blood sugar goes up, your blood pressure goes up. I mean, it's so... I would put, yeah. So magnesium is probably my number three agent. The, the first one would be valerian. I probably think of melatonin second. And I think of magnesium third for, you know, aids that I would have someone take for sleep, for occasional sleep disturbance. And they want something that's not habit for and, and as I said, most people are deficient and they need more. So
0: yeah. um,
1: the side effect from too much magnesium is loose stools.
0: So you'll know if you're taking too much. How yeah, much magnesium it's, before Yeah,
1: it's bed? not like it's going to surprise you and sneak <laughs> up on you.
0: How much magnesium before bed, like 300 milligrams for a woman?
1: 200 to 400 milligrams at a time. Now, sometimes the magnesium can bother your stomach. So I always prefer protein-bound magnesium. Magnesium glycate, magnesium <laughs> malate, magnesium chelate, one of those I tend to avoid. Magnesium oxide, it's more of a GI irritant, mm. much more likely to upset your stomach. So... Um, some protein bound source has better absorption and it's much more gentle on your stomach.
0: Yeah. I'm not a big fan of any of the oxides, iron oxide or any of them actually. So I like that. Yeah, uh, iron
1: oxide is almost mean to get oh. someone...
0: That's a whole other conversation. And I am not a fan of iron oxide at all for several reasons, but okay. I love that you say that's almost mean. That's hilarious, actually. (laughs) Okay. So in other, other ingredients, so now we've talked about, you know, all of those, what are some other natural supplements? Like what are your thoughts on CBD before bed or even some women?
1: I'd say it's variable. So some people it's going to help and some, it makes some people feel anxious, some feel relaxed, so it all depends on your CBD receptors in your brain, so I think that's really a good thing that someone, now now we're into someone who's got long-term sleeping issues and they're looking for solutions, and certainly that would be, to me, a safe, efficacious thing they could try, just be aware that you may not tolerate it, you you actually may not like it, so... Um, it's a tr- that's a question of trial and error. One of the things that I think is essential during the day to sleep successfully at night, you know, we said the three things to avoid were caffeine, too much alcohol, and too much white light late at night. But the, one of the things, and then, you know, nutrient like magnesium. But yeah. um, one of the things we really need to sleep well at night is activity during the day. You know, mm-hmm. workout, exercise, a, a good walk, something like that. I mean, one of the one of the more common causes of insomnia is people don't get enough activity. They're yeah. not physically tired and they don't feel mentally tired.
0: That's a really good point actually, you know, to actually, to make sure that you're getting that exercise. You know what, if we're gonna go back to sup? I just wanna go back to supplements for a second. And I do love the lifestyle tips and we can get there. You know, theanine. That's another one, the another ingredient that I absolutely love, L-theanine, because that you know ignites the alpha waves in our brain and helps to calm and relax us, but without making us jittery or anything.
1: Well, and helps produce can converted to serotonin, you know, is I think the really theme for that. So many of the sleeping agents will contain um, GABA, valerian, and L-theanine. Those actually, those are probably and maybe melatonin. Those are probably the top four things you'll I don't know why, but they oftentimes don't contain magnesium, yeah.
0: um, it's which is may
1: more important. But L-theanine is a really helpful, useful agent for people to try. Now, if your serotonin levels are good, it's not going to help. But I think for many people, that makes a big difference for sleep.
0: And I think it's serotonin is, is made in our gut, most of it. And I think for so many of us, especially in menopause and perimenopause, our digestion is a little off. So we may not be making as much serotonin as we need and it's that feel good neurotransmitter for those of you who don't know what serotonin is it helps us to makes us to makes us feel good you know we're talking about serotonin which I, and I think we'd be remiss not to mention tryptophan because tryptophan converts to serotonin in the body so w- explain a little bit about tryptophan so you know should we be taking it as a supplement or do should we be eating tryptophan containing foods about a, you know a couple of hours maybe at dinner time
1: well, at dinner time, again, I you know, so tr- tryptophan would be like turkey, milk, bananas, you know, like that idea of have a warm glass of milk before dinner is giving you some tryptophan. But so if you're dairy intolerant, you're not, but you know turkey's certainly an option. Milk is another, but those are my top three sources for tryptophan, yeah. but it's also really common to find it in a supplement.
0: I think, it not it cashews? I think cashews also have uh, some tryptophan. If I'm not, I think it's, anyways, but I think so, but we can even put sources below. Okay, so now we've covered supplements and I, I do want to, before we move on, you talked about, you, you mentioned, you know, people who have long-term sleep issues. And this week I was talking to a girlfriend of mine who has literally been taking, she's had trouble sleeping for a really long time. She's now in menopause and she is resorting to sleeping pills. And she is to the point where she's taking them on a regular basis what can we, what do we, I want to help her. And I I, I was excited that we were having this conversation because I wanted to hear it from someone like yourself, who's an expert when it comes to this, who's a doctor who can explain why it's not, why we shouldn't be relying on sleeping pills every single night. If if you need it for a short-term solution, that's one thing, but as a standard sleep aid, why it's not good for us. And then what, what can she do? Like what, I mean, we talked about all these things. Here's the challenge
1: is you're probably aware of. The more you use them, the harder it is to sleep without them. And they de- they're they clearly causing some dependency. Some of them will actually cause significant side effects when you try to stop them. You'll have withdrawal symptoms like benzodiazepines, you know, like val- You know, the old Valium, but now, you know, there's all these newer temazepam and all these newer agents that are out there that are more short acting, Xanax, all of those Yes, they will help you relax, you know, so there are times in life when, you know, something, some crisis happens and you might consider a pharmaceutical way of helping to deal with anxiety short-term but they're really not intended for long-term use. They're like for a week or two, a disruption in your life. I mean, for there are people who have chronic anxiety, they've had it their entire lives, and these can be very useful medications for someone if properly prescribed and managed. But for an average person, these are not meant for daily sleep. Um, e- Ambien, which is probably less habit-forming, but not, not habit-forming. Um, is, is another really common one, Sonata, ambient. You know, these are agents that aren't in that benzodiazepam family, but still, the more you use them, the harder it is to sleep without them. So the, to me, the the keys are, you know, that you're, you're getting those nutrients we talked about for sleep, like magnesium, and you're using some of those supplements, which are all pretty um, benign. They're not associated that I've ever seen in the literature with Um, You can't get by without them, and they don't make your sleep cycles worse when you don't have them. Most of the medications for sleep do that. So it's exercise, it's meeting those nutrient needs, and there's stress management. You know, that's the other thing. That's the big elephant in the room we haven't talked about yet that I wanted to at least bring up is that a lot of, you know, insomnia is related to not being able to self-calm and get really calm easily, so, I think meditation or using an app um, called HeartMath can be super useful. I mean, I use a HeartMath, I haven't used it for years in my clinic as a way of assessing do people know how to get calm and stay calm? You know, so can I say, okay, I'd like to, in a couple minutes, we're gonna test your ability to get calm. I want you to try to relax and see if you can do that. And so, I, I've been pretty amazed that some people have no clue how to get calm they're just underneath they don't show it but they're just agitated all the time and you can see that when you actually look at their breathing patterns using an app like heartmath so heartmath is a biofeedback tool you can use to learn to get calm and relax and so exercise the nutrients and that you know for someone who's hooked on sleeping agents they have to wean off You know, so you gradually talk to your, you know, you you might want to talk to your doctor about how to wean off them. But my my general approach is, you know, cut the dose in half each week and gradually drop off. So by a month from now, you're not using them. And then you try in, in. So for people who have long term chronic insomnia, I usually say try not to use them not more than once a week, maximum, not more than twice a week. That's the kind of general rule I use for helping people avoid addiction to sleeping meds.
0: Thank you for that information. Before we move on, actually, we were talking about tryptophan before, and a lot of people are asking me about 5-HTP. Can you explain what 5-HTP is? Is it the same thing as tryptophan, and can that help people sleep?
1: I think of it in the same category as tryptophan. I think of it as similar to using tryptophan.
0: We talked about lifestyle. We talked about supplements. We talked about things to avoid. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that can help women in perimenopause and menopause
1: sleep better? Well, the room environment really does make a difference. Mm -hmm. So I think exercise, right? Nutrients, natural agents, um, relaxation, and knowing how to get calm, meditate, prayer, whatever works for you. But you also want a room that's conducive to sleep you know, a good quality bed that's comfortable. It seems like a no brainer, but you'd be surprised how many people sleep on poor quality beds. The temperature makes a difference. We know that people sleep best somewhere between 64, 68, up to 72 degrees. And a lot of people are trying to sleep in rooms that are warmer than that. And it's, for some people, it's just counterproductive. So, uh, you know, we mentioned a dark room. Well, yes, you want it very dark. Almost no light is ideal. Um, And if there is any light at all, it'd be just a little red light here or there. But cool is also a factor for that. So, you know, and for some people, it's going to be cold enough that you can actually your feet feel a little cold, so you put socks on. You know they're, they're, that's going to be an individual choice, but how much how cold do you want it? But ideally, it's cool enough to your feet are no your feet notice it, and uh, you know so dark and quiet. Yeah, noise is a big factor for sleep, and cold. So th- I think the environment is really important. Some of the things we shouldn't be doing in bed in our bedroom at all are like watching television mm. or screen time. Or working because then you're training yourself to actively be thinking and be alert in the bedroom. I, I like to tell my patients to limit, you know, um, sleep and romance are the yeah. two activities, or maybe some reading before, you know, calm reading before you go to bed. But that's about it. Yeah, you know, I don't want people using their bedroom as a working environment because that's conducive to think of work. It's um, true. And television, it, again, it, not only is it a screen that's going to keep you awake, but it's very stimulating. It's the last thing you need when you're trying to go to sleep.
0: And even taking a warm bath before bed can help, putting in some magnesium salt into the bath or some lavender oil just to kind of like bring it down or throw a, a one, you know, a little bit of one drop of lavender oil on your pillow.
1: Well, I like the lavender. You know, that's really a nice touch because we talked about darkness, yep. sight and, you know, temperature, which is kind of on your skin, tactile, and, you know, that is going to be cold and um, quiet. So all of those, but the one we didn't mention was our nose. And when I thought of that, I, I thought immediately of, you know, lavender as a relaxing. So you can use, you know, oils, essential oils, yeah. um, and put it on something that'll warm it up. You can put a, a couple drops in a hot bath is really, I'd like that. Is a calming way to, you know, relax and and some relaxation routine at night. You know, so what you're when you say a hot bath, what you're basically saying is before you go to bed, you want to kind of wind down and relax. And so cuddling, romance, a hot bath, those are all great ways to relax before we go to bed.
0: Yeah. And I just want to say one thing about lavender. I was doing some research and I was reading that. Lavender actually can be an endocrine disruptor. So I wouldn't, you know, I'm not a big fan of taking it internally, but, you know, putting it on your pillow or, you know, just smelling it in the bottle or something. So just kind of like a a little side note, especially for women in perimenopause and menopause. I have a question about the darkness for you. So you're talking about making sure that our room is really dark. What about using a sleep mask? Does that help? Does that count as? So let's say you can't make your
1: room dark. Well, we've done studies on that for people flying on planes, you know, and looked at can they fall asleep and with hotel travel. And yes, a dark mask really, yes, if you ideally in your own room, you would create a room that's dark because masks are somewhat constrained. But when you're traveling around a hotel room, um honestly i I carry one of those in my night my you know bed travel bag <laughs> yeah in my my travel bag I've always got one in case I'm staying in a place where you can't get the blinds closed I mean yeah you know I, I love your idea about you know using the hangers to try to pull them together but sometimes it's hopeless so yeah. um yes, I have always got that as a backup if nothing else yes long term you want to be able to create a dark bedroom and get night blind you know knock out dark shades but Um, that that's for a temporary solution. That can be a really good one.
0: Yeah. Because I mean, even in our bedroom, I I know sometimes in our backyard, we have one of those automatic lights that go on and then the light and I have blackout shades or blackout blinds, but it still gets through. So I'll put on my, you know, my, my sleep mask, but I was always wondering if I like I'm cheating it a little bit, but does that cheating actually help to make that yes. really dark? Because some of us, you know, we many of us may not be able to control that environment exactly the way we want it, and uh, so is it a great secondary option? Which is what you're well, saying? Well, like
1: taking a nap during the day, it's very hard to get something dark during the day for yeah. a short power nap if you need one, um, so I. That's another way of getting darkness during the daytime for a short nap. And speaking of naps, I think naps can be fine for people 30 to 20 minutes. But certainly, if you're having trouble sleeping at night, you don't want to be sleeping more than a half hour during the day. So I'd really limit the duration of any daytime naps. You know, I wouldn't let someone try to fall asleep a couple times during the day if they're having insomnia at night because it just makes it worse.
0: Yeah. And uh, I, you know, you don't also don't want to go past stage one or two when you're sleeping during the day you're taking a nap because that's when you wake up really groggy and tired and it may actually even interrupt your sleep at night. You know, before we end the interview, I think it's important that we talk about shift workers and people who have, you know, they they don't, you know, go to bed at 10 o'clock at night and wake up at 6 or 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. What advice do you have for people who are working overnight and need to sleep during the day? So we have the, the eye mask, which I think is a great thing, but what are some other tips we can give them?
1: Stick to a cycle, shifting back and forth to try to live in both worlds. It's really hard on your system. I mean, they really show adre- signs of adrenal burnout, fatigue, um, higher rates of depression and, and um There's many, you know, heart disease is more common in shift workers. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a, you know, yes, we do need people to work and certainly, you know, medical emergencies and power needs, needs certain things at night that someone's got to do, and I'm glad they're there doing them. But um, if you choose to work at night, then make, make sure you're not changing your, you know, one of the worst things we see is like international pilots. Um, you know, who are going back and forth across oceans on these long flights regularly, and it's really exhausting. So, um, a shift worker at least has the choice of staying in that zone. So, I usually try to get someone to stay in a zone for at least a month or more at a time. Um, the idea of working three 12s and then in trying to shift the other four days during the same week, you know, three 12 hour night. Shifts, okay. And then four daytime live it up activities. Okay. Really hard to go back and forth physiologically. So I discourage that. Live in your time. Um, uh, and if you don't handle that, then um, probably you don't want to be a, a shift worker. Well, you know, I love That's the a really that's a challenging one. That's a tough one. But I mean, okay. it's hard on people's health. They they pay them extra for a good reason.
0: I mean, especially for the medical community, right? You know, nurses and doctors who are working nurses and doctors and who've been so
1: doing many, this for decades.
0: And so many other people who, um, who work overnight, like you were saying. So if we were to give them a tip and let's say they don't have a choice and they have to do it because, you know, the sleep mask, is that one good way that can help them? Could Melit- All
1: that's going to do is help them with the darkness. It doesn't help them shift back and forth. Okay. And the lack of sleep and the, uh, the, imp- the impact on their adrenal system and, Um. So, clearly, some people are better than others. You know, there are pilots, for example. Some will only go north south. They will not. They just they can't handle the jet lag. So, I think the people who can handle it, though, they've 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 tested it and they got away with it. And mm. some people absolutely can't. So there clearly there's some biological individuality here in terms of what we can handle and it's different for each person. Yeah. Um, but you know, as a general rule, I would encourage someone who's a shift worker to stay in that sh- sleep pattern as much as possible. As much as possible
0: to so avoid the back and forth and maybe supporting their adrenals or giving them a little bit of extra support with some nutrition or supplements perhaps, you know, but- uh,
1: Meditation, more important that they're using apps like HeartMath and doing regular meditation to learn how to relax and calm um, because their cortisol, melatonin systems are all mixed up. And it's when do you want to relax and when do you want to be waking up? Um, Those are important physiologic parts of life and they're really important to our health. And they're not something we want to mess with in an extreme way.
0: We're going to talk before we go about cortisol because I cannot let you go, but not, you know, we we our whole other interview was about blood sugar and one of my favorite interviews really of all time. We learned so much. Let's talk about the role that blood sugar plays overnight when we're sleeping and why it's important that we keep it balanced.
1: Well... We have, you know, our sugar's up during the day to nourish us and we're still using it at night. Our brain is still using glucose even when we're sleeping. And so does our heart to pump all night long, 24-7. You know, so we always want a steady supply of energy to our body. But cortisol is the hormone that is, we think of it as the, the, the stress, the emergency hormone. It's how we, it's what shoots up when we're under high levels of stress, like someone's chasing us, or we feel some amazing deadline that we've got to beat. Um, And so when when we, naturally it's great to have challenges that we deal with and feeling accomplishment. But if you're feeling stressed all the time and you're feeling overwhelmed by stress, When your cortisol goes up and stays up, that's the big difference. We always get a spike in the morning and we get somewhat of a spike when we have normal challenges in our life, which are great. But if your cortisol goes up and stays up, that's physiologic burnout. Your blood sugar levels go up and they stay high. You lose muscle mass, you lose bone mass, you're shrinking your brain and you're accelerating, so you're burning up your body's tissues to deal with that emergency situation. It does help you get going in the morning, but 24 7 high cortisol is deadly. And in the best way to take it to keep our cortisol levels calm is to get a good night's sleep, to get a workout, to do some meditation, to have some relaxation and calm every day. Yeah. Perhaps the last thing I'd like to mention related to sleep before we finish has to do with sleep apnea. Mm, Yes, please. Many people are exhausted because they don't sleep well. And it has nothing to do with these choices. They're airways obstructed. There's central reasons in the brain, but more common are obstructive reasons. Like they, and, you know, they might have signs of snoring or their spouse partner may say, hey, I noticed that you stopped breathing at night. So the signs for sleep apnea are like waking up in the morning with a headache, waking up multiple times at night, loud snoring your your partner says that you stopped breathing mm. you fall asleep during the day any or all of those can be a sign that your your you your breathing is obstructed at night you're not oxygenating literally your oxygen levels drop when that happens and you're you're not oxygenating your heart and your brain, and they increase your risk for memory loss and severe heart disease. And they're actually, it increases the risk of death significantly. Hmm. So anybody who's got sleep problems, one of the things I one of the things I always wanna rule out is that they don't have sleep apnea. And there's easy testing, you can even do at home, a little device you can wear on your forehead now. And monitors that you can do or even oxygen monitoring on a finger that you can wear to test, you have sleep apnea. So I I think that's one of the things we would never want to miss with someone with a chronic sleep disorder or sleep apnea because it's so serious and it's pretty easy to treat.
0: What are your thoughts on the, you know, the um, rings that you can use overnight for monitoring your sleep? I guess it looks at oxygen levels or it looks at how you're sleeping. Do you think those are something that would be a good thing for people to be able to tell? Like, and what is that device that you're talking about?
1: Sorry, two questions. Well, a there. device is like something we had in our office that we would have wear overnight. It, would, it, it could measure their oxygenation. Um, it looked at brain waves. So I could see if they were in deep sleep, REM sleep shallow sleep. I could see if they were awake or not. It tells me if they're if it happens when they're on their back or if it also happens when they're on their side. So a ton of information from this little headband you wear. So speak to your doctor if you want to oh, yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah, but usually a doctor's going to have to order that as like a sleep study. Okay. That's a mini version of having to go to a hospital, which is pretty invasive where you sleep overnight in a sleep lab and Yeah, It's a much bigger deal. This is something you can do in your own bed and like the study costs $100 or something like that. So So dramatically less expensive and still gives you a ton of really cool information. The rings you're talking about, whether they're on the wrist or a watch, some of those can measure oxygenation, which is nice. They can measure your heart rate to see if you get startled. But I've I've not seen any that really can tell you, you know, Is your position related to it? And also what kind of sleep do you get tonight? Do you get much deep sleep and restorative sleep or is it all just shallow, um, poor quality sleep? So I think something that can distinguish between that's really important for someone who has chronic sleep issues. And one of the tests I think is like essential to ask a doctor to order.
0: Okay, and so that, that test that you're saying would be the one that you wear on your head and that will give you all that information
1: it'll give you much, a great deal of information um, to go from. And at least it would help exclude the worrisome things that I would be concerned about for someone who had chronic sleeping problems.
0: Okay, great information, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Masley. Always so informative and um, great tips and uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you helping us and helping our community because the nice thing is, is that we can help ourselves. Right. And I I know it's a lot of information to process, but even if we do a few things to start baby steps, it'll make a big difference when it comes to our sleep. So thank you so much. Can you please tell everybody where they can find out more information about you?
1: Well, if you'd like more information, visit the website, drmasley.com, D-R-M-A-S-L-E-Y.com. I've got blogs and recipes that I put out for free. I'm on a regular basis and lots of useful information.
0: And I know that you also have written several books and I know you have a new one. Can you share that with
1: us? Well, my latest book is The Mediterranean Method. I love this book. You know, it's the easiest diet on the planet to follow that's fantastic for your health. And, you know, plus Mediterranean lifestyle has all sorts of tips that are really pretty good for your sleep as well.
0: And med- eating the, following the Mediter- Mediterranean diet, it's always like one of the number one or number two diets that is recommended by all the health experts that we should follow. So maybe just give a, just a tiny tidbit on what is the Mediterranean diet and why is it so
1: good for us? Well, the US News and World Report has ranked it number one three years in a row wow. and then in the top three for the last decade because it's like the easiest to follow, as I said. It's number one for preventing diabetes, for helping your brain, And it's in the last three to five years, it's been either number one or number two every year for your heart. So all these benefits and the food's delicious, making it pretty easy to follow. I mean, the essence is that we're eating more plant foods, vegetable, fruit, beans, nuts, seafood, you get some poultry, some dairy, but the thing is most of the dairy and poultry is organic. Mm. You know, and the really things that they're avoiding are processed foods. That's the primary, you know, you're making things that are local in season that are colorful and fragrant and beautiful and putting them together in an easy way. So they're not complicated dishes that the meals are pretty easy to prepare. The predominant oil we cook with is olive oil. No surprise, extra virgin olive oil. And lots of herbs and spices and you know garlic, rosemary, um, Italian herb seasoning. And then, and then the Eastern Mediterranean starts using some curry spices and cardamom and turmeric and uh, you know those types of anti-inflammatory spices as well. So really, very varied, tremendously varied. When you think of the entire Mediterranean basin from Spain, Italy, Greece, um, on to Turkey and Egypt, you know it's just so amazing cuisine that's really good for your health and easy to follow.
0: And are there recipes in the book so if we yes
1: it's um, yeah we have 60 recipes in here. Oh, wow. my favorite recipe and I actually researched this. we spent my wife and I spent three summers on a boat sailing across the whole Mediterranean basin. Wow. so I was out searching small town you know I would consistently you'd go up into a mom and-pa restaurant and say, what's your favorite regional dish?"
0: That's awesome. I love it.
1: How do you make that? Well, they wouldn't tell you, but you could go to the market and say in the market the next day, hey, I had this dish last night. And they go, I know how you make that. (laughs) They tell you the ingredients. That's awesome. They share their secrets. So do you love to cook? Do you and your wife love? I do. I do. I I you you may not know this, but I'm a physician, nutritionist. I did a chef internship at the Four Seasons.
0: Oh, wow. That's incredible.
1: Long ago, I realized what people need are recipes. They don't need more prescriptions from doctors for medications. They right. want recipes that are easy to make, delicious, and you can find the ingredients at your local grocery store. That's what, you know, that's what's gonna transform health in America today is recipes and probably the Mediterranean diet is as good as it gets.
0: I love it. Well, congratulations on your book. I think that's fantastic. And thank you so much for being on our show.
1: Oh, Always a delight to be with you.
0: What an incredible interview with Dr. Masley. I learned a lot and I hope you did too. If you got value out of today's interview, please give us a big thumbs up and leave a comment below whether you have a question for me or Dr. Masley. We will answer it. And please share our video because the more you share shows you care. Thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you next time.